Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. Bob again, and I've got People Tools for Business, 50 Strategies for Building Success, Creating Wealth, and Finding Happiness. And I've got Alan C. Fox on the line today. Hey, Alan, how's it going? Good. Glad to be with you, Bob. So um, I just wanted to ask you, why did you think this is this book's important to, to come out right now? Well, I, it's important because we live in a very fast society, and you know, I mean, we nobody has much time. And uh, my book has fifty strategies. Most people, and all the chapters are short. I would say two to four pages. And most books might take any one chapter and write a full book on it. I think I boil ideas of business down to the essence and say them quickly and in an interesting way. Hmm. What is your, and this is, I know this is a totally unfair question, but for you, what is your uh, your favorite tip in the book? Because there's 50 of them. You must have one that when you write, it's, oh, I love this one. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like asking which uh, which of your children do you love the best? <laughs> um, I would I would say uh, the most uh, the most shocking probably, and I, I like to think in a in a contrary way, and that is advertise your mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I uh, I've, I've had many businesses when I started practicing law years ago, I had to be perfect, so I would never admit a mistake. If something went wrong, it was always somebody else's fault. And the people who worked in my law offices hated me. And, uh, of course, they wouldn't admit that they made any mistakes because that was so awful. And what I learned was when I was about 30 years old, hey, we don't make mistakes. And in order to build a team and work together better, it was important for me to advertise my mistakes. And by that I mean if I made a mistake, I go to the people in my office and say, hey, you know, you guys make the little mistakes here. I, I made a you know, this is a This is a big one. And not only were they encouraged to share their mistakes with me, but they wanted to help me solve the problem because they had more ownership in it since I was admitting I needed help. Mm. So one of my very, very favorite tools is advertise your mistakes. Um, Many people don't. They feel that people won't like you or whatever, but I found it to be a very, very good idea. Yeah, it's it's, uh, kind of reflective of of what, great leaders should be doing the ability to communicate in a, in a heartfelt way so people feel that like you said have ownership of the situation so they're not getting blindsided every which way and don't know where to go and then they their energy gets dissipated and they're not focused yes i i, I agree and you know when you say uh, communicate in a heartfelt way i i totally agree i think if you, you, you care about people that that will come through on the other hand uh, sometimes I, I would recommend against one of uh, the uh, 50 tools in people tools for businesses, wait three days. Because, you know, sometimes we'll get a, an email or a telephone call or a letter that is really upsetting. You know, um. uh, internal revenue is auditing or someone is very critical. And that, when I get that, I get upset. And I find that rather responding right away, uh, I cool down. And for me, that takes two to three days. So I usually will wait three days when that happens. It doesn't happen too often. But then I will respond. So I can respond uh, perhaps in a heartfelt way, but not an angry um, heartfelt way. (laughs) In a stabbing type of way. (laughs) 
right. to the heart. Uh, you know, for me, what I do too is is I I, I definitely have a cool down period, uh, and then when I write the initial response email, a lot of times what I find the, the emotion starts bubbling back up, and I will end up rereading that email several times, even if it takes an extra 15, 20 minutes of my time, because I'm trying to figure out how the person's going to react to an email. And one of the most difficult things about doing emails is it the person will read it based on their uh, state of mind at the time when they read it. So it can get misinterpreted so easily. It's very, very easy to escalate a problem. I, I, I totally agree, Bob. And I do the same thing. I will read, uh, I, I read most emails I send uh, two or three times just to be sure I put it properly. Because you're right, you don't have someone in front of you that can't tell the inflection in your voice. You can't see their reaction in their face. So for an email, you've got one shot at it. And, and sometimes people get upset when they didn't intend it. <laughs> yeah, that is a little bit of a backpedaling there. I wanted to ask you, what's the best way to approach this book? I mean, obviously, 50 tips. You can jump around in it. Do you think, I mean, they're, they're, it's not in an escalating form or any any way, shape, or form. So just dive in and, and grab the stuff you think is going to be most useful? Yeah, just uh, just absolutely dive in. You know, I was reading uh, some of the reviews. Uh, there are 25 reviews on Amazon, which are all five stars, but I, I really like one that was posted a day or two ago, which says, uh, the, you know, this book has taken many strategies and boiled them down to their essences. A lot of his chapters have been made into entire books by other writers without providing more insights that are here in two to four page chapters. This book could easily become a meditative journal for those so inclined, which I find kind of interesting. You know, some people say, oh gosh, I sat down to read the few chapters and I found that two hours later I'd finished the whole book. <laughs> but I think you can do it any way you want to. You can start at the beginning and go to the end. You can take any chapter individually, take chapters where the title appeals to you. And, um, it, it, it can be helpful and also fun to read. Well, you know, when I was going through it, I've, I, I got to agree, it was almost like a Zen-like experience because I would end up reading it two or three times because it's so condensed that you, you, you get it, but you don't, or maybe you're getting it in such a fundamental level and you're saying, yeah, but where, where's, where's the more stuff? And, and I was finding that I would go back and I'd read it again and I would read it much slower than I read any other book that I have because I'm just trying to get that to register for me. I, I try to distill the essence, and I, I'm just not going to take 20 pages to describe something that I think can be said in, in two or three or four pages. And um, and I think, and, and a number of people said, uh, you know, I've read the book and now I'm going to read it again because, you know, I, I get it, but I want to really, really... Uh, learn and, and, and incorporate into myself uh, some of the ideas. Uh, and, I, you know, this is what I've done. I have all these ideas I've used. I've been in business 45 years, and this is some of the most important ideas that I've learned and that I use all the time. So I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's probably something you can read quickly, but many people uh, want to read it over again. Mm. It, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of a book that, uh, you know, if you're a leader in an organization, you read it and you say, wow, this is amazing. It's almost the type of thing you want to disseminate 
throughout the organization from uh, people in the C-suite into marketing, but also people that are way down in, in, in the chain because a lot of this stuff, it just makes a lot of sense. And if you had a whole organization that was thinking the same way, because it you know, kind of has an underlying philosophy. Yeah, no, Bob, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think that corporate culture is extremely important. There are certain businesses I go to, whether it's a chain restaurant or a hotel or whatever, and the people are always nice, mm. and they give good service, and I really, really like that, and I'll go back. And so I think you want to have a corporate culture. I, I think ultimately the corporate culture does reflect the personality of whoever's in charge. But if you have a book like this, if it reflects your ideas on how business should be run, and it does for many, then having everybody in the organization read the book is going to put everybody on the same page, so to speak. And I think you're exactly right, uh, because I think it's important to, uh, I don't want anybody, uh, I, I sent out an email today to everybody on my staff. I mean, I don't want anybody writing an email which couldn't be published on the front page of the New York Times. You, you hear about Sony and, and some of the executives criticizing stars and all that. Um, I, 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 and apparently that may be the corporate culture of that company, but that's not a corporate culture that, uh, that I would want. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, what you're talking about is the ethics of a, of a, a company. And really, I think a lot of people don't look at companies as something that is looked on by the people that utilize their services or buy their products as an individual, but they are. If you have an amazing brand and it's touching people in an emotional way, let's say Apple is a great example, those people really look to you as a friend. In, an, in that organization, unless you have somebody that is talking on that level and saying, look at guys, we are here to help people. We are here to make their lives better and we are their best friend. Not enough people are talking that way. Yes, I, I agree. Well, you know, I have a chapter in People Tools for Business on after-sales service because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, look, without customers, without co-workers, without suppliers, you have nothing. You don't have a business. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's important, especially for, for customers, uh, we go to a lot of trouble for advertising, marketing, to acquire customers. Why not pay serious attention to those customers you have and and get feedback from them, find out what they want, and try to meet their needs? And in that way, you're going to have a much more successful business. And also, uh, Bob, as a side effect, you can have more fun doing it. I mean, you know, keep things positive. You know, just enjoy your day much more. You know, you use a key word there, fun. And, uh, you know, going through the book, you really get this sense of fun. It, it, it's it's like this isn't a chore, guys. This is something that all these tips are something that should be innately part of your personality. And that's when it's going to ring true. How do you do that with an organization? How do you let people know? How do you communicate that in, in, in a way that they're going to believe you and move forward and not feel scared of messing up? Well, uh, for, for one thing, I always appreciate people coming to me with information. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to tip the messenger. You know, we all, we all say when you get bad news, you want to kill the messenger. <laughs> well, the messenger is just delivering the news. They didn't create it. 
So, uh, you know, you're not going to get mad at the, the, the newspaper just because they published uh, some, some bad news about a war somewhere or other. It's not the newspaper's fault. So I think that we have to appreciate when people give information. And also I, I use what I call an appreciation attack. If somebody's done something particularly well or nice or whatever, I send them an email, I go down to see them, I talk to them. I, I think we all like appreciation. And if you create a corporate culture of giving people appreciation, because so often it becomes a competitive. You're afraid someone else gets your job or get more credit than you. And that's another thing. I just I just give my, my people all the credit because, uh, well, for one thing, they deserve it. And for another, without your team, without people you work with, uh, you wouldn't be doing very well. So, uh, And we also try to have fun. That's not to say we don't work hard and get a lot uh, accomplished. But you, you've got to enjoy what you do. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, and you get more done if you're enthused and enjoying it because it's it's an amazing experience working for an organization where you come into work and it's an uplifting experience instead of something that's, oh, am I going to make it through the day? Am I going to make it through the week? What a horrible way to live. Absolutely. And, you know, people who visit me, uh, they, they love my, my personal office because I have pieces of art and things I enjoy. And, and what I tell them is, you know, I spend more hours awake here than I do at home. Mm. So your office should be a pleasant place to be. Do you think the era of yes men is uh, is going away where you, where, where executives are, are surrounded by people that are just basically going to fawn over them and uh, th- there's no profitability in that anymore? Uh, no, Bob, I would say not. My experience is there are a lot of organizations where the uh, where, where speaking truth to power, as they say, is discouraged mm. because uh, people in power do not want to be questioned in any way. And, uh, I think it's a big mistake. Um, but I don't really think it's going away. And I think uh, if you're in that kind of situation, uh, you know, I, I one one chapter of people do business that that uh, you know, being fired can 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 be good for you. And uh, early in my career, I fired my legal secretary, and I met her uh, about a year later in the lunchroom for the office building, and she said, "Now I'm working for the attorney in the penthouse, and he thinks I'm the best secretary I've ever he's ever had." <laughs> well, with me. She didn't meet my standards, but apparently she met his standards. And any number of people come to work for me, and they didn't enjoy where they were because they were criticized too much. And some people that haven't worked for me have gone on to do things that they enjoy much more. So, you know, I think you can look at anything in your life uh, as, as an opportunity. Hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, number 18, give it away. And, uh, you know, there is... There is a huge movement right now of, of giving it away. Um, a lot of, of internet-based companies that say, hey, look, try it for free, and when you see the value, then you can pay us a little bit of money. Is there a point where you have to stop giving it away, or do you just keep giving and giving and giving and hope that you're not communicating to takers? Well, very good point. I think that I, I think if someone is just a taker, I think, um, Bob, I basically think that all relationships have to be perceived as approximately equal most of the time by both people. So in other words, uh, you know, if an employee feels fairly compensated, then that's fine. And when you get into situations where it's unequal and it continues to be unequal, as it sometimes does. Uh, I once had a woman, I, I deal in commercial real estate and I uh, syndicate real estate. And one woman would, would keep asking me business questions and legal questions, and I kept answering. 
And uh, this went on for about two years. And finally, I, I said, look, you know, I, I'm happy to give you advice, but you've never invested. So we've got to do something about that. And she stopped asking for advice, and that's fine. So I think that is an example. When you just have a taker, I agree with you, that that you can't uh, you can't do forever. Number 35, people with goals use people without goals. And I'm really interested in this because when you use the word use, it's not in a negative way. It's just that when you're moving forward, if you have a goal, you're, you're, you're set, you're, all your energy is going that way, and you need to acquire people on your way to get you to that goal. Um, is that what you were trying to get across? Yes. I, I think it's very important in life to have goals so you can move toward them. And on a simple level, if you and I are going out for lunch and uh, you know we're deciding where to go, and you, you have an idea. You want to go to a Chinese restaurant. That's where you want to go. And I don't really have much of an idea. Then we're going to end up doing what you want to do. So when you have ideas and specifics, it's more likely that those will happen than if you're just wishy-washy about it and kind of don't care about much. So I think think it's important to have goals. And also, while I'm talking about that, Bob, uh, we talked today somewhat about multitasking, doing uh, several things at once, which I, I think is frankly nonsense Mm. because you only do one thing at a time and you may be able to switch quickly from one thing to another or one conversation to another but you're only doing one thing at a time i say this multi-goal in other words meet a number of goals at one time my assistant said to me um a while back uh she she had a a serious problem which was going to take 10 or 15 minutes to discuss so i said well let's go to lunch so i went to lunch we called socially we had lunch, we discussed the problem, we solved it, we went on to some other problems. So in an hour, I'd accomplished many goals. I, I really think it's important in life to, to have goals and to accomplish more than one at the same time. Hmm. I like that. You know, you, you mentioned something there that reminded me of a book called The One Thing. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, I think you'd really enjoy it. And it's basically saying that multitasking is uh, is not true and you're way more efficient. You're going to get way more done if you're focused and uh, doing that one thing. But I love your caveat that you can be concentrating and be getting two goals through doing focused work with uh, multiple opportunities that come to you during the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I might go to a wedding of people I don't know, but I'm, I'm pleasing my wife. I'm meeting new people. Uh, I might have some good food, so you can meet many goals uh, by, by one activity. Well, I, I want to ask you a little bit of advice here because, you know, and this goes back to, to the answer for a question you, a couple of seconds ago, where you were saying, like, if if you're hanging out with somebody that has a goal and you're that's the direction that person's going. It goes back to the classic uh, where it's a husband and wife sitting or it's you and a buddy saying, where do you want to go to lunch? And the guy says, well, I don't know. And what do you want to do? Well, I'm not sure. And then eventually somebody decides to lead. And then that person decides, eh, I don't want to go there. Eh, I want to go. How do you deal with naysayers? How do you deal with people that are saying, give me your advice, but then never take it? <laughs> well, I'm laughing, Bob, because I kind of, well, some people are indirect. And I had that situation with, with, uh, with my second wife, and she asked me if I wanted, one day I came home from work, she said, you want to go to dinner? I said, okay, I kind of didn't, but I wanted to please her. I said, where do you want to go? 
she didn't give me anything, so I gave some suggestions, and then she didn't want to go there. Anyway, it became a, a, a huge fight because I talk about in the book about hidden agendas. What What is a person's real agenda? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know what people really want. And with naysayers, um, I I don't have too much use for naysayers. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a chapter here, Life is an Improv. And, you know, in improvisation, when you go see an improv in the theater, there's there's one important rule, and that is if I say, hey, Bob, let's, uh, let's go to the grocery store, you have to respond by saying yes. You always say yes, and then you say yes, and while we're at it, let's, uh, let's have the dry cleaner on the way. Mm. So you're adding rather than blocking, because no is an absolute blocker. And I find in my life that by saying yes, I, I get to some things that are very interesting and sometimes they're very um, uh, profitable and a lot of fun. So I, I, I think with most sayers, um, gee, I, I tend to avoid them. And uh, if I have to be with them, I want to talk to them about that and say, hey, look, what, what do you enjoy? What do you want? What, what, what can you say yes to? Mm. I think yes is one of the most wonderful words, words in the English language. Yeah, it, it, that's very... So, so true. And going also back to the, the hidden agenda, I mean, there's books written on that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it's you're really talking about, and a lot of this stuff you're talking about is being a great communicator, is being conscious of the moment and saying, okay, why did that person ask me that? Or why is that person a- acting that way? How can I fix that problem? How can I communicate with that person so we can move forward? Yes, and absolutely. And that's that's kind of how I wrote the books because when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I didn't get along with people too well at all. As I said, people in my office hated me because I didn't admit to ever making a mistake. <laughs> and um, I, I really didn't read people too well. And I also didn't disclose myself. And when I was 30, I went back to school and got a degree in counselor education. And I found that one of the most important things was self-disclosure. In other words, if I was in a situation where I was uncomfortable, um, in fact, it happened uh, just over the weekend. Uh, one of my daughters has a new boyfriend, and we met him for the first time. And you know, we met him, and after a few minutes, he said, "You know, I'm really, I'm really scared and uncomfortable here." And that kind of disarmed everybody and made the situation better. So, by being sensitive to yourself as well as to other people, you're going to get much further with them much more quickly. You know, you're going to have to write another book about how to be a great dad because uh, I've got two daughters, 14 and 16, and uh, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. Uh, yes, I, uh, my, my, uh, my wife and I have three daughters who are now older than that. They're you know, 26 to 36, but no, I, I understand. Actually, I'm working on a book now, uh, People Tools for Love and Relationships, and then the book after that is going to be People Tools for Families, and um, yeah, I have some ideas on that. Mm. You talked about the power of yes, and I, I think you know we should dig into that a little bit more because you said something that was brilliant. That it's not just being yes, but it's being using yes in in a functional way, in a building way, and instead of a way to fob off somebody and say, "Yeah, okay, let's do it," and then give up. There's different types of yeses. Well, that's true. Well, you know, <laughs> and and you have to know what you're dealing with uh, mm-hmm. because sometimes. Uh, yes means uh, yes. Yeah, sometimes yes means maybe, and sometimes yes means no. <laughs> and well, you know, sometimes uh, people just being polite. Mm. Uh, you know, hey, how would you like to go do this? Uh, how would you like to go to the baseball game? Oh, sure, but you really don't like baseball. 
So you have to read kind of between the lines. You have to read the not just not just the word yes, but what comes with it, and then what actions. Well, one is uh, you know, hey Bob, let's get together for lunch. Yes, Alan, I'd love to. No problem. Uh, and I say, well, how about next uh, Wednesday? No, I'm busy then. How about Friday? No, no, doesn't work. How about next week? No, I'm gone. Well, the practical answer is no. The polite answer is yes. And um, so is it important to be polite to people? I would say so. But it's also more important to be authentic. And um, But when you when you get people who are just being nice or being polite, I think you have to uh, realize that and, and realize that maybe, maybe you don't want to go to lunch with you after all. Hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of... Uh my years that I spent in Japan and it's such a polite society and, and it's very uh, difficult sometimes to communicate and actually get an answer at the end of the day where you, ha- what happened? <laughs> you know, it's like we did all this talking, but now that I think about it, nothing has been resolved and, and there's been a lot of yesing, but really they didn't say yes to anything. You know, it brings up a point that you have to be, sensitive to someone else's culture. You know, your culture is the way that you do it, but that's not the way every uh, country and every culture uh, does the same thing. And, you know, you could put that the culture of companies. You know, we talked earlier on about, like, cultures of organizations and and how important it is to, to understand that. And some organizations, if you don't get the culture, don't get involved with it because it's, it's going to end badly. Absolutely. You know, my first book uh, called People Tools, I have a chapter called Patterns Persist, and that's one of uh, everybody's favorites. And I said, when you find a pattern in yourself or somebody else or in a company and, and expect it to continue, you'll almost always be right. If I call a company and they don't return my call for three days and I call somebody else, I don't expect them to return my call right away either because companies and people have patterns, and the patterns tend to continue. You know, you take me to a, to a buffet restaurant, and I'm going to eat too much. That's the way it works. Patterns persist. The perception that you have of another business is how that business reacts to you. And, you know, for me, I'm very, very service-oriented. I've, I've always loved, remember when I was 16, I got a job as a busboy, and I was the best damn busboy they've ever had. I just loved it. And any project that I get involved in where I feel that I'm giving you know, service to the client or service to the community or whatever, I have a hard time sleeping because I'm so excited. Do you find yourself that that becomes a trigger to, yes, this is a good fit because you get this inner energy about moving forward with the project? Oh, ab- absolutely, no question. And when you talk about about being a busboy, I experienced many years ago. I was at a seafood restaurant uh, at Pismo Beach, California, and the waitress was okay, but the busboy for this whole full restaurant, he was just cleaning table. He was really, he was friendly. He was doing his job. He was working very hard. And actually, after dinner, I went up to the busboy. I gave him a, a big tip to him personally because I thought he was doing such a good job, and he really was a wonderful representative of, of the restaurant, mm. of, his, of his employer's business. Well, you know, I'd like to talk to you about that because, you know, it's the it's everybody in an organization that makes that organization great. And you talked earlier about, you know, not only just thanking people, but physically going down and say, hey, thanks for doing such a great job. 
do you feel that you know if you're going to build a business or you, you you own a business and you're trying to make it a better business, the ability to get everybody on board and giving a hundred and ten percent it's very hard to do because as an entrepreneur you're on fire all the time and you're excited about coming into work and you might have some key leaders in the organization that get it and they're gung ho, but there are other people in the organization that just can't get there. Are there ways? to get those people more excited and have more of an entrepreneurial spirit like that busboy? Yes, there is. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, I sometimes don't know enough about what other people are doing. But, you know, whenever I'm out of my office, I would call in. And if the phone rings eight times before it's picked up, <laughs> that bothers me. Mm. And, you know, one time I lived with a woman and then the phone rang and she answered. She says, what do you want? I said, whoa, wait a minute. This is my phone. You got to put on a smile and be friendly. So I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be in touch with what the people who represent you are doing and solicit feedback from your customers and also, you know, be, be attentive, walk around the office, uh, see what people are doing. And then to get them to change and be positive, you have to be positive yourself. And so, you know, I don't tend to say to people, Oh, that's terrible. You really did a bad job there. I would say, Hey, I know you want to do the best possible job you can, and here's some suggestion I have on, on how to do it better. Mm-hmm. Or how do you think you can do it better? And if it comes from the employee, it's going to stick more with them rather than being imposed by uh, by me or somebody from the outside. Mm-hmm. Well, making it a teaching moment instead of a, a lecture moment. Exactly, exactly. And use positive reinforcement. In other words, with kids, you know about your daughters. I read a book years ago called Catch Them Being Good. And <laughs> with people, you want to reinforce behavior you like, catch them being good, reinforce it, praise the heck out of them, and they'll want to do it again. Uh, let's talk about number 11. I think it's fascinating. Make little deals your big deal. Absolutely. When I was starting out in business, I was working on a big deal. And I met a banker, and he said, Alan, he said, you know, this deal is going to take five years to reach fruition. He says, and, you know, if it does, that's great. But if it doesn't, you've wasted five years. Mm. He said, don't do big deals like that. Do little deals. Little deals where you can do two a month. That way, in five years, you know, you'll, you'll work on 100 deals, and maybe 50 or 60 or 70 of them will come, uh, come to pass. And, and you won't be giving your life to something which is so big. And also, in terms of big deals, uh, you know, I do real estate, but I'm not going to do such a big real estate deal that if it fails for any reason, it will bring down everything. So I, I, I think it's important to, uh, to do things in, in bite-sized chunks and have the op- opportunity to succeed frequently rather than uh, take huge risks and, and do something which is going to take a long time and, and maybe cost you the business to do work. Also, if you're doing lots and lots of smaller deals, uh, you have the opportunity to fail. And, and that has, you have to look at failure as an opportunity to learn. Uh, if you're doing one big deal every three to four years, you, you may do well or you may fail, but that learning is so expensive compared to doing 30 or 40 deals over that same period of time. You'll get better and better. You'll be more warmed up. You'll be faster off the plate. Uh, it, as, as a, a long-term business plan, it just makes so much more sense. And I find now that I'm doing way more smaller deals and helping out biz, uh, businesses that I would never have approached before, the bigger deals are coming to me because word's getting around. Yes, 
Absolutely. I, I, Bob, I think that's a very, very good point. Yeah, doing little deals at work, you meet more people. And also, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, I, I've always said I learn a lot more by my mistakes than by my, by my successes. And, uh, you know, we all make mistakes, then that's fine. It's an opportunity to, to learn something and do it better next time. <laughs> now, this is my favorite line. Uh, I can't help myself. Don't put your car keys in the trunk. And, you know, in <laughs> big letters, you say, when you open the trunk to your car, never put the keys inside. Now, is this something that you learned the hard way? <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> I was out of my office. I had a, a, a big box in the trunk, and I opened the trunk, and I saw myself put the car keys in the trunk. Before I took the box out, I said, Alan, don't ever do that. Just, I said, look, I'll remember, no problem. I'll, it's not going to be a problem. I took out the box, I put it on the sidewalk, and then I slammed the trunk. And as the trunk was going down, I said, no. Well, it happened to be a car that the auto club couldn't break into the trunk. Uh, My wife had to bring her set of keys. I was there for an hour and a half just because I didn't do what I told myself I should do, which is don't put your car keys in the trunk because if you slam the trunk, you're you're, you're hosed. (laughs) Yeah, always listen to your inner manager. They know what they're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I have another chapter in People Tools for Business, uh, emotion uh, trumps intellect. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, do a, do a gut check. See if it's something you like or don't like. And uh, if, if I like something, I'll, try, I'll figure out the numbers and see if it works. If I don't like it, I, if I don't like the person, I, I always go with that because um, I think your gut's pretty accurate. Mm. Uh, you know, you mentioned something there when you were telling us the story about the, the keys, and uh, you said, you know, I'll remember that. That's got to be the biggest piece of bad advice anybody can give anybody. If you have a great idea, for gosh sake, write it down. If, you, if, you, if you're doing stuff, get it down because there's no way that you're going to remember stuff. I, the world is just too busy these days. Do you have any advice on that? Yes, I do, and that's exactly what I do. <laughs> I, I could not agree more. Look, in writing my book, the most difficult thing is coming up with ideas. And so you know, during my day, I might come up with one or two ideas. What I have learned is this. If I don't write the idea down, in fact, I, you know, I have a Blackberry and I have a button I push and I write down the idea right away. If I don't write my idea down within about 30 seconds, all I remember is I had a really good idea. <laughs> and I don't remember what it was. Yeah. So make notes absolutely and do it do it right away do it immediately hmm. uh i know you we're a little tight for time today so one last question for all our listeners out there what is one thing that they can do today to do better uh, one thing you today to do better is smile research indicates that when you smile when you're feeling good or not when you smile endorphins are released in your brain and you feel better. So a smile is, is cheap, it's easy, and it's very, very effective. <laughs> We've been talking about People Tools for Business, 50 Strategies for Building Success, Creating Wealth, and Finding Happiness with Alan Fox. It's been great chatting with you today. Thanks very much. And also, people can look me up at peopletoolsbook.com. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Bob. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.